This morning, um, this is my voice this morning, okay? So, this is what you get. This is after three of these of hot tea, plus a home remedy my wife came up with, which is almost as good as the stuff that I had when I was a child. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up in families that, uh, before a lot of medications, <clears throat> they would give you a little bit of whiskey and a whole lot of honey. And uh, that was my, let me tell you, that was the best stuff in the history of the world for cutting stuff out of your throat and stuff. And it made you feel warm all over. Uh, the, the thing that uh, my wife came up with is some kind of thing she found online. She's misnutrition. And um, was this thing that has, that has um, apple cider vinegar, water, honey, and cayenne pepper in it. I have, I've had four shots of that today already, too. It's good stuff, I want to tell you. I love hot food, so anyway, it was fun. Uh, ooh, okay, so we'll see how this, how this goes this morning. Just want to share that with you uh, about what's going on. I want to kind of get back to the story. Those of you who are new with us this morning that haven't been here in a while, we've been looking at God's Word, and, and we started back in September talking about uh, the Bible and, and, and looking at it from the standpoint of how, trying to understand how it fits together. And we've been using a resource called The Story, which is a chronological abridged uh, Bible. Uh, it's not the whole Bible by any means, but it's, it's portions of it. And it's, it's in chapter format. And today we're in chapter 19. Uh, so we're pretty good along the way. We've got 31 chapters to go. We have about two or three more weeks of the Old Testament, and then we'll be in the New Testament. And uh, looking at that, and we'll be finishing up the story the end of April of this year. But kind of where we've been the last few weeks has been that we've been in the area called the Prophets. And it's a place, uh, the reason the prophets came was because the people of Israel had turned away from God. And, and as you remember, those who were here with us, the nation had turned, had actually split and became two different nations. One called Israel, which was in the north, which was ten tribes, and Judah, which was in the south, which was two tribes. And the nation of, uh, of Israel had been over, overcome by a group of people called the Assyrians. The Assyrians had, had come in, had captured them, uh, overwhelmed them, took them away to their country, and we really don't hear much else from that group of people ever again, uh, at least until maybe maybe much later in history. But the group in the south called the, called the tribe of Judah, uh, in that location was where, was where Jerusalem was. Uh, some uh, some major key places were there as well. And as we talked about a few few weeks ago, or two or three weeks ago, they came and and for a while they seemed to do better than the, than their brothers and sisters in the north. But uh, it came a time when they turned away from God as well. And God allowed a group called the Babylonians to come and to overcome them. And they went into captivity, were taken away to another country as well. And many of them, um, you know, everything was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Many things were destroyed in that day. And so there, uh, we come today to about 70 years later after that Babylonians had taken away um, the, the people of Judah and uh, destroyed everything. And about 70 years later, we see something miraculous happening, which we're going to talk about today, and that's what we call the return home. Uh, finally, they get to go home after 70 years. You know, a lot of things can happen in 70 years. It's a long time. I mean, how many of you were around 70 years ago? Don't, you, don't, you don't want to raise your hands. I mean, I know that, you know. Very few of you. This is a very young congregation. I wasn't around 70 years ago. But just to give you an idea, 70 years ago was 1943. Uh, what was going on in the world in 1943? World War II. Uh, in the middle of that, the president was FDR. Um, the average cost of a new house in 1943 was $3,600. Brand new home, average cost. Remember, it's only 900 square feet, though. 
And uh, the average wage per year was $2,000 a year. The cost of a gallon of gas, 15 cents. It stayed that way for a long time. It did. Because when I started driving at 16, I think it was only 22 cents a gallon. And then it went up to 38 cents when I was in college. And I thought, oh, man, we can't afford this gas. It's too expensive. That's the way life is. Uh, the average cost uh, to rent a house in those days was $40 a month. The average, the cost of a bottle of Coca-Cola was $0.05. Cents, and the average price for a brand-new car, brand-new car, was $900. Uh, born that year in 1943 were uh, a lot of people, but uh, a few that you might know of, a couple politicians were born that year. Newt Gingrich, John Kerry were born that year, but also Chevy, Chevy Chase and, uh, and Mick Jagger was born. I know he act, wants us to act like he's younger than that, but he was born in 19, he's 70 years old, okay? Uh, and so, uh, and a couple of inventions in 1943, a couple of inventions. Uh, well, actually, the end of 42, 43 was think, think something called duct tape. You're going like, MacGyver would have never been around if not went for 1943. Um, and then the slinky was invented in 1943. Now, I don't know if that was really important or not, but it's pretty cool that somebody come up with that. So anyway, a lot of things have happened since then. You know, you're going like, wow, man, life has changed. And life had changed drastically uh, for the people of Judah. They had been in, in bondage. They had been uh, taken away from their home, their, their cities and their, and, their, and their temples. Everything had been destroyed. And they had been under, the, under different kings of Babylon for that period of time. But then God some, does something miraculous in their life. He, he brings uh, into the heart of a new king uh, uh, the opportunity for them to go home. And the big question for us today that we're going to be talking about is this. Why, do, why does God or what does God do when we make his big thing our small thing? What does God do when we make his big thing, the big thing he wants the number one priority in life to be? What, when, what happens when we make that our small thing? And we're going to see that in the story in chapter 19 today as we look at it. And we're going to be actually in a couple of different books in the Bible in the Old Testament. And that's when I said that the story is a chronological story because the Bible's not always chronological. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's not always in order because the two books we're going to look at, Ezra and Haggai, are in far different places. One's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. One's further on, almost at the end of the Old Testament. But both of them talk about the same story of the people returning to the place called uh, Judah. Now, in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and if you read the story this week, you read this. It says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put his proclamation in writing and to send it throughout the kingdom. And this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and to, in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Totally unexpected event in their lives. They're in captivity. This is not necessarily a guy that was a follower. This king was not necessarily a follower of God. But God had moved in his heart some way for him to say, hey, you guys are free to go back to your homeland. You're free to go home. And, and that was a big deal. And, and many of them had grown up. I mean, probably most of them had grown up at that day and age, actually in Babylon or somewhere else, 
but they knew about the homeland. They'd heard stories of it. And so finally, after, <clears throat> after 70 years, they get to go home. And when they go home, um, remember Cyrus says to him, he says to him, he says, what I want you to go home and do is I want you to build the temple because that's an important thing to your God. And so the people go of, of God return home. And if you read um, Ezra, and actually if you actually turn into Ezra which in your Bible, you'll see that there's a whole list of the people who actually went home. Probably about 50,000 people returned uh, to Judah with the prospect of, of rebuilding their land and rebuilding the temple. <clears throat> now, in, in chapter 3, though, we, we read about what's going on a little bit further here. It says, in the early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, they finally got home, they settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of, and this is the fun part of this, this message, because these are strange names, uh, the son of Jehoshaphat, joined his fellow priest in Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. Because they wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. And as we read further in chapter 3, we read about what went on there as they continued this process of rebuilding the temple. They got started really, really, really well. And then it says this in verse 11 of chapter 3. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good, his love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was raised. Okay? This wasn't the final completed project. All they completed was the foundation. Any of you ever built a house before? Nobody's ever built a house before. A few of you. I have. I helped build our own house in Virginia. And, you know, when you build a foundation, how far along are you in the project? Have you ever seen a foundation? How far are you along in the project when you build a foundation, when you get the foundation done? You're a long way from finished, I want to tell you. A long way from finished. The foundation is important. It's hugely important because everything else stands upon it. But the foundation just simply means that you've got the base ready that's going to be months probably before everything else is going to be ready in the house. And so they were praising God because they got the foundation laid. Now, it's interesting, and I, I don't have this on your slides up here, but in chapter chapter uh, chapter 3 of, of, of Ezra, um, after this it says, uh, and all the people gave a shout of praise, then it says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And you're going like, well, why were they crying about this? What was the deal? Because they knew how marvelous the original temple had been. And this was a smaller version of that original temple. Even though this temple, once it's built, lasts a lot longer than the original. This was a much smaller version. They realized, you know, it's kind of like uh, you, you expect to have, you, you build, if you ever if you ever have been around building, you'll notice when you put the foundation down, it doesn't look, even for a big house, it doesn't look all that big. And it makes it look like the house is really small. And then you start building the house up and it looks a lot bigger. But the thing is, they know, they knew how big, how small this was compared. Plus they knew it was, all it was was the foundation. The people were getting all excited about the foundation. And as we read further in the story, we've, uh, if you read it this week, 
the people began well, but began, began to lose focus because God's big thing became their little thing. And there was opposition to the work, and, and, and it comes to a standstill. The point is this, as we begin. It's real easy to get excited about something new, is it not? I mean, we love new. We get so excited about new stuff. The problem is maintaining, of going on, and, and staying, uh, of going through the process. It's kind of like this. <clears throat> Hold it, just one second. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I call this the, the trunk of forgotten passions. Okay? You may have a room in your house. You may have a closet, whatever it may be. It's where you put stuff in. I mean, you put stuff in that you say, like, I'd love to do that. You get all excited about it. And then you stick it somewhere. Okay? This is my trunk of forgotten passions. I went downstairs and looked at some stuff. When I was a kid, man, I used to love to do models. I mean, I had every, I model cars and all kind of stuff, cool things. So when I became an adult, what I decided to do, I said, I can't go out and do a little cheap model. So I decided about 27 years ago, I'll look back on this. 27 years ago, I bought this. This is actually, it's a very intricate model. Oh, it's falling apart inside. It's a very intricate model of a sailing ship. It's made out of wood. And you have to cut every piece apart out of balsa wood. And you've got to put it all together. And it's got cloth sails, the whole deal. I'm going, this is going to be so cool to make. 27 years ago, I bought this. <laughs> I op- I, and I opened it up. And I, I worked a little bit on it. And it's got some of the parts together. But man, it's like just disarray. And then I put it, you know, put it away. And I'm going like, you know, someday when I retire, maybe, maybe. You know, it goes in that box of forgotten passions. Uh, you know, I used to I used to play a lot of sports, a lot of sports. I mean, I don't know why I still have this. Um, this is almost a brand new uh, softball glove. Uh, I played last time I played softball was probably 15 years ago. And I'm going like, why? And I look downstairs and I'm going, why? Do I? I have this whole bag of sports equipment. And I just pulled out two or three things. And I'm going like, I'm 58 years old. Why in the world am I, you know, am I going to play softball again? No, I'm. I guess this is for my grandkids. I don't know. So, you know, we have that thing. We keep things. We're going like, yeah, someday, someday. Or I, I, I just, one time I started, I started, uh, I decided to take Taekwondo. These are little gloves you wear to you know, punch people with, you know. And I was going to be a black belt. Well, it's got, it's got, it's got all kinds of junk on it, you know. Um, man, let me tell you, one of my biggest passions early on in life, and I actually did this for a while, was I actually, um, actually played bass guitar and I played music. <clears throat> I don't know if you can see this, but actually what this is, is an amp. It's a, it's a small amp, a very small amp. It's a practice amplifier. I bought that about 15 years ago because I just said I need to get back to playing again. The problem is I don't have a guitar or a bass. <laughs> I did for a while. But I still have the amp because I'm going like, you know, someday, someday. And let me take Christmas, Christmas, uh, if you were here at Christmas, and I, a lot of you were, uh, you know, the Sunday before Christmas, and the guy was up here ripping on the guitar, and I'm going like, i got to pull the amp out. And I went downstairs and looked at it and put it back away. <laughs> See, that's the problem. We get, it's really easy to get excited about something and start. And that's what the people of Israel did. They got really excited about stuff, and they started with stuff. But they, they didn't stay, they didn't stay with us. Um, 
The people actually, as you read the story further, what happens is they get some things pressing down. Life begins to, to happen to them. And the, and the thing about life is this, folks. We all know this. Even for those who are Christians, life is messy. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have difficulties in life or, or trials or, or problems in life. But the issue is that they begin to get messy. And so uh, they begin the process. And, and they forget, in a sense, about the temple. In a sense, what they did is they take and they put God in the trunk of forgotten passions. He kind of becomes secondary. And for the next 16 years that we read in Scripture, what happened is he gets put away. Now, discouragement is to be expected in life because life, in a sense, is a, is a real battle. But the issue in life is not how well we start, it's about how well we maintain. And, and what are we going to do and what do, what do we focus our attention upon? And so what happens after the people go to this process, and this is the question I asked earlier, is, you know, when do, what happens when, <clears throat> excuse me, what does God do when we make his big thing the small thing? And the temple was just a symbol of their relationship with God. So to keep that in mind, that was just a symbol of their, it was a visible symbol of their relationship with God. It was the center focus. And, and as long as they maintained the central focus of that relationship, it meant that they had their, their eyes upon God. But the people began to lose focus. And so what God does when they do that after 16 years, he raises up a different person, different prophet. And his name is Haggai. And Haggai, basically what he does, he calls the people back to their primary task. And in that day, the primary task was finishing building the temple. Because where did we last leave them with the temple? Was it completely finished? No, it was just a foundation. That's all it was. And, and if you know after 16 years, if you leave a foundation sitting there and you don't touch it, what's going to happen? There's going to be stuff growing up around it. It's going to look like a mess. And that's what was happening in the people. And then so in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, we read these words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. God is saying to them, hey, it's time to rebuild my house. But there's someone like, oh, it's only been 16 years. Uh, uh, 16 years have gone by. And they still say, not now, later. It's real easy in life for us to say about anything, but particularly about God. You know, I'll follow God, but not now, later. Not now, later. But God says, we cannot wait. We cannot wait. So he calls this prophet Haggai. And in verses 3 through 6, he says this. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for, your, for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? What he's saying basically here is that they've spent all their time for the last 16... They've not been sitting around doing nothing. But their priorities have shifted to themselves. To their own homes. To their own building up of their own wealth. And all the different things they do. And they've basically forgotten the house of God. Which symbolized their relationship with God. They did a great job of focusing on themselves. But this is what God says. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I don't know if you look at that verse, but does that describe our lives today in America? We're busy. We're busier than ever. We have more stuff than ever, but we're least satisfied. 
probably in the history of the world. We're seeking and searching, and they work, and they work, and they work, and these people. But the problem is they said they feel empty. Why? Because they're only working for themselves. They have made God's big thing their small thing. And they've pushed God out of the picture. And no longer is he important to them. You know what it says in the New Testament in Matthew 6.33? Matthew 6.33, this is what God says. This is what Jesus says about God's priorities. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God. Then everything else will fall in line is basically what it's saying. But that's not how we often live in life. What often we do is we say this, uh, let me get my stuff in order. And when I get everything just right, then I can start living for Jesus. Then I can put God first when everything else is in order. But God says, no, that is not the way that works. He's saying, first of all, God said that's backwards. He says, put me first, and then you can figure everything else and make everything else work. I mean, he said it in another place, in the verse we constantly use at Great Oaks, which is one of the key verses in Scripture. In Matthew 22, verse 36, somebody came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He says, Do this first. Not as a part of a bunch of things, but do this first and everything else falls in line god says get this one right and everything else falls into place because if you don't what will happen and it happened to the people of israel and it'll happen in our lives if you don't put god first you won't be able to do number two three or four very well how does god respond to misplaced priorities now this is the tough part of scripture today folks the last part this is the tough part the part that we want don't want to hear because what does god do when we make his big thing our small thing does God just sit aside? You know, like, like all this stuff here, you know, I mean, you know, what, what does, just because I don't play music anymore, you know, what do I do? I can leave this in the box of misplaced priorities forever, right? You know, does it matter? Does it matter if I, I don't play these sports? I'll play some other sports now. But if, does it matter if I have those? No. Does it matter if I ever finish the ship? This, this nice boat, anybody wants it, I can, you can talk to me later. Um, but you have to promise me you'll finish it soon, soon. See, that might be true, but we can't leave God. God will stay in the box of misplaced priorities. He won't stay there. He's not like these other things that are things. God is the creator of the universe. And the thing we have to understand that God wants us to do is he he is not going to sit around and take this as, as a term we use, lying down. Because we read in the next few verses, um, in the chapter 1 of Haggai, when they've misplaced their priorities and they're saying, like, not now, but later. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure and be honored. First of all, it gives them a practical thing to do. Get back to the job I originally called you to do. And then he says this, see, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be a little. What brought, what you brought home, I blew away. What does that say? What does that say? It's not something we want to hear. God's saying the reason, the reason, 
that they have had these these feelings that you know they've sought all these things they've got all these things is because god says i just blew it away because it's not important and he says this and and he answers the question why declares the lord almighty because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house therefore because of you the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops i call for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the ground on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Basically, God, it seems almost harsh, does it not? Isn't this, we always want to think that, you know, the loving God who would never possibly cause anything difficult in our life. We want to have this kind of warm, mushy God. But the thing, the, the fact is this, they've forgotten God for 16 years. And God can't be put in a box. Or a trunk, or a closet, or a room. Because if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, see, you've said, I want you to be Lord and Savior. And He will allow things in our life to happen sometimes. We'll go through trials and difficulties sometimes. Now, be careful. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is a trial or difficulty from God. That's not what it says in Scripture. But it does say in Scripture, I think, very clearly here in many places that God sometimes in our lives allows us to go through or sends to into our life times of testing. And the reason he does that is because he wants to wake us up. And he wants us to get back to putting the first thing as the first thing. I mean, as a parent... If you see your child falling off a cliff and you have something and you're able to do something about it, would you just let 